0: Flowers plucked from a Puritan garden by John Arrowsmith. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Selections from Dr. John Arrowsmith's Amilla Catechetica, or A Chain of Principles, Cambridge, 1659, made by Reverend Benjamin B. Warfield, D.D., Princeton, New Jersey preferatory note. John Arrowsmith, the author of the work from which these selections are taken, was born at Newcastle-on-Tyne, March 27, 1602, and was bred at Cambridge, where he became fellow of Catherine Hall. He was one of the most esteemed, and one of the most regular in attendance of the Westminster Divines, by whom he was appointed to lead the defence against the Antinomians, to sit on the committee that prepared the Confession of Faith, and to preach three times before Parliament. He was appointed in 1644 Master of St. John's College, Cambridge, and afterward Master of Trinity College and Regis Professor of Divinity at that university. He died in 1658. Besides the three sermons above mentioned, three small quarto volumes by his hand were given to the public. One in Latin, on the Christian soldier, he published himself in 1657. The other two were published after his death, the Chain of Principles in 1659, and the Theanthropos, an exposition of John 1.1-18 in 1660. All his writings are characterized by adequate learning, adequately handled, for teaching and practical purposes, a devout spirit, and a convinced but moderate Calvinism of the type of Davenant, whom he often quotes with admiration." His writings abound in anecdotic illustrations, in quaint turns of expression, as well as in such quotable passages bearing on the Christian life as are given herewith. On the whole, he is a fair specimen of the Puritan preacher of his day, a day, it need scarcely be said, in which theological thinking and practical piety were fused into one mass of godliness, and a revived religion swept into the hearts of the whole English people as perhaps has never been equally true before or since. Benjamin B. Warfield 1. God's relation to the creature. It is not with God as it is with carpenters and shipwrights, who make houses for other men to dwell in, vessels for others to sail in, and therefore after they are made, look after them no more. God, who made all things for himself, looks after the preservation of all. 2. The creatures are all vessels, which, if unhooped by withdrawing of God's maintenancy, all the liquor that is in them, their several virtues, yea, their several beings, would run out, and they return to their first nothing. 3. The Wisdom of Man When study hath been midwife to knowledge, knowledge becomes nurse to grief. Many and dreadful are the damps that seize upon such as dig deep in the minds of learning. Sharp wits, like sharp knives, do often cut their owner's fingers. The deep reach of a prudent man makes him aggravate such evils as are already come upon him, by considering every circumstance so as to accent every sad consideration, and to anticipate such as are yet to come, by galloping in his thoughts to meet them. 4. Knowledge indeed and good parts managed by grace are like the rod in Moses' hand, wonder-workers but turn to serpents when they are cast upon the ground and employed in promoting earthly designs. Learning in religious hearts, like that gold in the Israelites' earrings, is a most precious ornament, but if men pervert it to base wicked ends, or begin to make an idol of it, as they did a golden calf of their earrings, it then becomes an abomination. 5. With men, indeed, a little science may make a great show. But he only is wise in God's esteem who is wise to salvation. Give me a man as full of policy as was Ahitophel, of eloquence as Tertullus, of learning as the Athenians were in Paul's time. If with Ahitophel he plot against the people of God, with Tertullus have the poison of asps under his lips, with the Athenians be wholly given to superstition, for all his policy, eloquence and learning one may be bold to call him fool in scripture language. The learned logician, whom Satan daily deceiveth by his sophistry, and keeps from offering up to God reasonable service, is no better than a fool for all his skill. Nor the subtle arithmetician, who hath not learned to number his days, that he might apply his heart to saving wisdom. Nor the cunning orator, who, although he be of singular abilities in the art of persuading men, is of Agrippa's temper, himself but almost persuaded to be a Christian. 6. God known by his works. In a musical instrument, when we observe diverse strings meet in an harmony, we conclude that some skilful musician tuned them. When we see thousands of men in a field marshaled under several colours and yielding exact obedience, we infer that there is a general whose commands they are all subject to. In a watch, when we take notice of great and small wheels, all so fitted as to concur to an orderly motion, we acknowledge the skill of an artificer, When we come into a printing-house and see a great number of different letters so ordered as to make a book, the consideration hereof maketh it evident that there is a composer by whose art they were brought to such a frame. When we behold a fair building, we conclude it had an architect, a stately ship well-rigged and safely conducted to the port, that it hath a pilot. So here the visible world is such an instrument, army, watch, book, building, ship, as undeniably argueth a god who was and is the tuner, general, and artificer, the composer, architect, and pilot of it. 7. We are so fearfully and wonderfully made that the great physician, Galen, though a heathen, being amazed at the wisdom which he discovered in the frame of every member in man's body, could no longer contain himself, but fell to praising the Creator in a hymn. 8. Anthony, the religious monk, when a certain philosopher asked him how he did to live without books, Answered, he had the voluminous book of all the creatures to study upon, and to contemplate God in. The book of Scripture, without doubt, hath the preeminence in worth by many degrees, but that of the creatures had the precedency in time, and was extant long before the written word. 9. The Supremacy of Scripture I should not be afraid to affirm that there is one very short expression in Scripture to wit this, I am that I am, which revealeth more of God than all the large volumes of ethnic writers. 10. We are all desirous to have fair and well-printed Bibles. Believe it, the fairest impression of the Bible is to have it well-printed on the reader's heart. 11. The two testaments, old and new, like the two breasts of the same person, give the same milk. As if one drew water out of a deep well with vessels of different metal, one of brass, another of tin, a third of earth, the water may seem at first to be of a different colour, but when the vessels are brought near to the eye, this diversity of colours vanisheth, and the waters tasted of have the same relish. So here the different style of the historiographers from Prophets of the prophets from evangelists, of the evangelists from apostles, may make the truths of Scripture seem to different complexions, till one look narrowly into them and taste them advisedly, then will the identity both of colour and relish manifest itself. 12. The inadequacy of the creature. Therefore it is that the eye, as the preacher telleth us, is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear with hearing, because these two senses of discipline, When they have given their utmost intelligence, cannot present the soul of man with any created accommodations perfectly good without defect, and perpetually good without decay. thirteen. The creatures are wont shamefully to frustrate men's hopes, and seldom or never make good to the enjoyer what they promised to the expectant. Yea, as Jonah's gourd, having done him no service in the night, when he needed it not, withered in the morning when he hoped for the most benefit by it against the ensuing heat of the day, so the blessings of this world frequently wither at such times as we looked to find the most freshness in and refreshment from them. 14. The Dignity of Man Let Diotrephes, then, say, It is good for me to have the preeminence. Judas, it is good for me to bear the bag. Demas, it is good for me to embrace this present world. But do thou, O my soul, conclude with David, It is good for me to draw near to God. Thou art now a bird in the shell, a shell of flesh, Which will shortly break and let out the bird. This crazy bark of my body, ere long, Will be certainly split upon the fatal rock of death. Then must thou, its present pilot, forsake it, And swim to the shore of eternity. Therefore, O everlasting creature, see and be sure, Thou content not thyself with transitory portion. 15. To a soul truly great, no worldly matter hath any true greatness in it. As if one could take a station in heaven, whatsoever is here below would appear but small in his sight by reason of its distance. 16. It is exceeding much for man's honour that he is an epitome of the world, an abridgment of other creatures. But his being made after God's image is far more, as great men are wont, They often erect a stately building. They cause their own picture to be hung up in it, that spectators may know who was the chief founder of it. So when God had created the fabric of this world, the last thing he did was the setting up his own picture in it, creating man after his own image. 17. The king's image is in his coin and in his son, but after a different manner. In his coin there may be likeness and derivation, but not identity of nature, which is also added in his Son. In saints there are the former, they are like to God in their qualities derived from him, but in Christ all three. 18. God the only satisfaction. Certain it is that none can make our souls happy but God who made them, nor any give satisfaction to them but Christ who gave satisfaction for them. They were fashioned at first according to the image of God, and nothing short of Him, who is styled, the brightness of His Father's glory, and the express image of His person, can replenish them. As when there is a curious impression left upon wax, nothing can adequately fill the dimensions and lineaments of it but the seal that stamped it. Other things may cumber the mind, but not content it, as soon may a temple be filled with wisdom as a soul with wealth, and bodily substances nourished with shadows as rational spirits fed with bodies. 19. Thou art my son. the best of creatures are but stars, deriving the lustre they have of thee. Did not thy light make day in my heart? I should languish for all them in a perpetual night of dissatisfaction. They are within me two great gulfs, a mind desirous of more truth, and a will capable of more good than finite beings can afford. Thou only canst fill them, who art the first truth and the chief good. In thee alone shall my soul be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Twenty. THE SOURCE OF SALVATION. The mercies of an infinite God are infinite mercies, and so able to swallow up all the sins of finite creatures. What, though thou hast heretofore delighted in sin, despair not, for he delighteth in mercy. Mercy pleaseth him as much as ever any sin did thee. 21. Know that the Lord is wont even in wrath to remember mercy, and that the correction which thou at present lookest at, as an argument of wrath, may perhaps be an evidence of love and an act of mercy. God is not about to bear thee down, as thy unbelieving heart imagineth, but to prune thee for prevention of luxuriancy. Be sure, the right hand of his clemency knoweth whatever the left hand of his severity doth. 22. Then is God most angry of all, when he refuseth to be angry. Yea, there is no anger of his to be compared to this kind of mercy. 23. The justice of God, as well as his mercy, endures for ever. And as nothing is more calm than a smooth, more raging than a tempestuous sea, nothing more cold than lead when it is taken out of the mine, nor more scalding when it is heated, nothing blunter than iron, yet when it is wetted nothing more sharp, so none more merciful than God, but if his patience be turned to fury by our provocation, none more terrible. 24. THE AWFULNESS OF SIN Smite a stone as long as you will, beat it while you can stand over it, it complaineth not; lay a mountain upon it, it groaneth not. Such are some men's consciences. twenty five. Crying sins are commonly answered with the echo of roaring judgments. twenty six. The riches of grace. The vast ocean overfloweth both the lowest sands and the highest rocks. That of God's pardoning grace removeth both the smaller prevarications and the grosser abominations of all such as are truly penitent believers. 27. Observe the method, repentance first and then forgiveness. God doth not bestow his distinguishing favours upon all men promiscuously. Pardoning mercy doth indeed come from him with ease. He is called a God ready to pardon, but droppeth not from him at unawares. 28. Thou, saith Augustine, that shall not lose one hair, how comes it to pass, that thou art afraid of losing thy soul? 29. The way of salvation. Look how much care a man hath to please God, so much confidence may he have to cast all his care upon him. 30. Love is the fulfilling of the law, faith the fulfilling of the gospel. These two pipes, being rightly laid from a Christian soul to the fountain of living waters, fetch in from thence a daily supply of such grace as will certainly end in a fullness of glory. 31. Others may consider the gospel as a word of truth and a doctrine holding forth salvation, but such as are savingly enlightened and sanctified by the Spirit, view the salvation it holdeth forth as theirs, and are ready to say of every truth therein contained, This is good and good for me. Happy man, whoever thou art, that canst look by an eye of faith at the gospel as the charter of thy liberties, at the condemning law as cancelled by thy surety, at the earth as the footstool of thy father's throne, at heaven as the portal of thy father's house, at all the creatures in heaven and earth, as an heir is wont to look at his father's servants, which are therefore his, so far as he shall have need of them. According to that, all are yours, and ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's. 32. There is not a round in the ladder to heaven which doth not give every one that steppeth upon it just occasion of crying, Grace, grace. 33. Not as if when iniquity is forgiven, it were presently to be taken out of memory, but that which the saints desire is to have it taken out of the conscience, that their heart may accuse them for it no more. As a thorn in the hedge is a fence, but an offence in the midst of the garden, So sin in the memory may do well To keep us from relapsing, But is a grievance in the conscience. 34. The safety of the church. Such as wish and project, as some have done, The total and final ruin of the visible church Must effect it in a time That neither belongs to day or night, For the Lord hath promised to keep it, Lest any hurt it, yea, to keep it night and day. 35. 35. Diverse particular churches may be ruined, as those in Asia have been. No man knows how many more may have the same line of desolation drawn over them. Meanwhile, the Catholic Church still not only continues, but thrives, because, like the sea, it wins in one place what it loses in another. Like the sun, it riseth to the Antipodes when it sets in our hemisphere. 36. Notwithstanding all the confusions that have happened in the world, all the fires that have been kindled, the massacres that have been executed, and the battles that have been fought against the true Christian religion, the storehouse thereof hath continued to this day, and these oracles of God been preserved in spite of hell. Solomon's philosophical treatises, which the world had no spleen against, but a liking of, are long since lost, whereas his canonical writings are still extant. 37. No such bitter enemies to religion as those that after relenting return to their former frame of hard-heartedness, as the worst travelling is when it hath freezed after a thaw, so the worst conversation is with men of that spirit. 38. It is he that keepeth us. They that have God to be their enemy, they that doubt whether he be their friend or no, cannot with confidence cast their whole care upon him. But he that can groundedly say with David, I am thine, may go on as he doth, Lord, save me. He that can say with assurance of faith, The Lord is my shepherd, may confidently add, I shall not want. The spouse may go, leaning upon her beloved, with all her weight, when she hath first been enabled to say, My beloved is mine, and I am his. 39. The devil is mighty, I confess it, said Luther, but he will never be almighty, as my God and Saviour is. Upon these grounds a believing Christian, living up to his principles, may well say, Show me a danger greater than my God, a destroyer greater than my Saviour. I will then fear it and him. Till then pardon me if I do not let my confidence go. What though Jacob be small, as the prophet speaks, by whom Jacob shall arise. For he is small, yet arise he shall in spite of oppositions, and that because Jacob's God is great. 40. Election, having once pitched upon a man, it will find him out and call him home wherever he be. Zacchaeus, out of cursed Jericho. Abraham, out of idolatrous Ur of the Chaldeans. Nicodemus and Paul, out of the college of the Pharisees, Christ's sworn enemies. Dionysius and Damavus, out of superstitious Athens. In what dunghill soever God's jewels be hid, election will both find them out there and fetch them out from thence. 41. The Uses of Affliction. God preserveth us, not as we do fruits that are to last but for a year in sugar, but as flesh for a long voyage in salt. We must expect in this life much brine and pickle, because our Heavenly Father preserveth us as those whom He resolveth to keep for ever in and by dangers themselves. 42. Every vessel of mercy must expect scouring in order to brightness, and, however trees in the wilderness grow without culture, trees in the orchard must be pruned in order to fruitfulness, and corn-bearing fields broken up when barren heaths are left untouched. 43. If Solomon had nowhere said, there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, experience would soon have forced us to acknowledge that our whole course is checkered with prosperity and adversity, that most of a Christian's drink in this life is oxymal, most of his food bitter sweets. Whilst Israel marched through the wilderness, the blackest night had a pillar of fire, and the brightest day a pillar of cloud. So in this world things never go so well with the Israel of God, but that they groan under some affliction, never so ill, but that they have some comfort afforded them. 44. Leaven and honey were both excluded under the law from offering by fire, leaven for its excessive sourness, honey for its excessive sweetness. To show, saith Ainsworth, that in the saints there should neither be extremity of grief nor of pleasure, but a mediocrity, We should be careful in time of prosperity to fear affliction, with a fear of expectation, though not of amazement. With such a fear as may cause preparation, but no discouragement. On the other side, in time of adversity, hope for refreshment. 45. In this militant church, as in the ark of old, there is a rod and a pot of manna. Here upon earth we have little manna without some rods, little welfare without some sharp affliction. FEW RODS WITHOUT SOME MANNER, NOT MANY AFFLICTIONS WITHOUT SOME MANNER OF CONSOLATION. 46. DUTY OF CHEERFULNESS. HE LOVETH A CHEERFUL GIVER, SO A CHEERFUL THANKSGIVER AND WORSHIPPER. Nehemiah was afraid to be seen sad in the king's presence. Mordecai does not go into the court gates with his sackcloth on. Dejected looks and the sackcloth of an uncheerful carriage do ill become the servant of the king, the followers of the court of heaven." 47. He that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast, and the best physic too. Uncheerfulness maketh the soul of a man drive heavily, as the chariots of Pharaoh did in the Red Sea, but the joy of the Lord oileth the wheels. Cheerfulness supplies the joints of our hearts, and so renders them humble and active in the holy performances. 48. There is as much difference between the sufferings of believers and of ungodly persons out of Christ as there is between the cords wherewith an executioner pinioneth his condemned malefactors, and those wherewith the indulgent chirurgeon bindeth his patient. They are crosses indeed, which believers undergo, but no curses. 49. All the harm which the fiery furnace did the young men in Daniel was to burn off their cords. Our lusts are cords, cords of vanity in scripture phrase. The fiery trial is sent on purpose to burn and consume them. Afflictions help to scour off this kind of rust. Adversity, like winter weather, is of use to kill the vermin which the summer of prosperity is wont to breed. 50. 50. When the founder has cast his bell, he doth not presently hang it up in the steeple, but first try it with his hammer, and beat upon it on every side, to see if any flaw be in it. Christ doth not presently, after he hath converted a man, convey him to heaven, but suffers him first to be beaten upon by manifold temptations, and after advanceth him to the crown. 51. How bitter soever the cup be which I am to drink! by whomsoever it is handed to me, the comfort is it was of my heavenly Father's mixing, who I am sure would not put any poisonful, although he do put some displeasing ingredients into it. I will therefore say, Christ enabling, as Christ himself did, The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it. End of Flowers Plucked from a Puritan Garden by John Arrowsmith